He is a Canadian. That is grieving. Yes, another Stanley Cup loss. Um, but it's okay because he's not a Vancouver fan. He's he's a he's a Jets fan, <laughs> a Winnipeg Jets fan. All right, um, but he's uh, also the worship pastor at New Philadelphia Church. And so uh, let's show our love and make him feel at home here tonight as he uh, preaches from the Word of God. Pastor John Newfield, everyone. All right, I, I am uh, a Winnipeg Jets fan. It's true. For those of you who know a bit about hockey and you, you know that the Winnipeg Jets haven't existed for a while, it's breaking news that Winnipeg is getting their NHL team back. So uh, be looking out. And it actually came from Atlanta. So we took Atlanta's team. We're sorry for everyone from Atlanta. Andy and anyone else who's from Atlanta. We apologize. But uh, let's, let's pray again. Because we like to pray. We're going to pray again before we get into the Word. Father, we bless you again for this time. We thank you for the opportunity to gather like this, God. English speakers from all over this city, God, to unite, God, in heart and mind, God, to declare your desires, God, over this nation, God, your heart and your passions over this nation, God. And we ask that you would continue to stir up even more as the night goes on, God. Stir up your passions, God, and your desires more and more inside of us, God, that it would be a fire that's growing and burning and building, Father, inside of us, God. Yes, Father, through this word, we ask that you would stir up your desires and your affections, God, and your truth, God, in our hearts tonight. God, to awaken our hearts by your spirit, have your way in this place. We love you. We thank you, God, and we ask these things, and we do these things all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, it, is, it is good to meet to pray like this. In this hour, this is what God is calling us to. Beloved, this is, this is what God is calling us to. This is a movement of prayer that, that has been going now for a while, and God's just going to build it and grow it because his heart is for this. His heart is for revival for this nation. And this is a manifestation of this, gathering people in unity from different churches to come together to seek his face and to intercede on behalf of this nation, this broken, hurting nation that God has called each and every one of us to. So this is a privilege, and it's an honor for me to be here, and I hope that you feel that it's a privilege and honor for you to be here, to be a part of what God is doing in this hour in this nation. And so tonight we're, um, we're going to talk, talk about faith tonight. Now faith, yeah, faith is, is really important. If you, if you read through the Bible, you get a sense that God is very interested in faith. Yeah. He, faith, faith is up there in terms of God, like what God's interested in. Uh, we basically, we don't really have anything without faith. We, we don't have, we actually don't have anything without faith. You think you have something apart from faith, you're wrong. Because the Bible teaches otherwise. 
Bible says that we are saved by grace through faith, right? You can't come to Christ apart from faith. You can't receive the gift of salvation. You can't receive eternal life apart from faith. It doesn't happen. It won't work. You've got to believe. The Bible says you need faith. You need faith if you want to please God. Right? Hebrews 11.6 tells us that very clearly. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because when you come to God, you need to believe that He exists and that He earnestly rewards those who seek Him. You've got to believe that God is a rewarder of those who seek Him. You've got to have faith if you want to please God. You don't have faith... You can't please God. Anything done apart from faith, you cannot please God. Paul says something very interesting in Romans 14. He says, he says this, Anything that does not proceed from faith is sin. And that, that's a loaded statement. Anything in your life that doesn't come from the place of faith is actually sin. You can't have any sort of righteousness in your life apart from faith. You can't have any ability to perform miracles or see signs and wonders in your life or in other people's lives apart from faith. When Jesus went to his hometown of Nazareth, it says there that he could not do many miracles because of a lack of faith. Jesus, Jesus is God. And he, there was no faith there. There's a lack of faith. Jesus says, I, we're not doing miracles here. We need faith. If you want to see signs and wonders in your life, you've got to have faith. You don't have anything apart from faith. Okay? And this is particularly true when it comes to prayer. In the Gospels, we see Jesus talking about faith a lot in the place of prayer. It says in Matthew 17, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can speak to a mountain and tell it to move from one place to another. All you need is faith the size of a mustard, a really small a mustard seed is the smallest of seeds. All you need is that, and you can speak to a mountain and say, be moved from that place to another. In Matthew 21, he says, you can speak to that mountain and say, be uprooted and thrown into the sea. Anyone ever try that? Where, where you just, you know, you, you're at Namsan and you just, you speak to the mountain and you say, mountain, Namsan, be thrown into the sea, be uprooted and thrown into the sea. Jesus says, this is the word of God, by the way. This, Jesus isn't just giving hyperbole or whatever. He's saying, you... If you have faith, that can actually happen. Now, your faith needs to be in alignment with God's heart, of course. You can't just, just you felt like it one day and you feel like you have enough faith. You speak to a mountain and it gets thrown into the sea. It was actually, I don't know if you guys heard about um, a guy who decided he was going to try to walk on the water across the Han River. Did anyone hear about that, by the way? It was a few years ago. He's, he actually, he, he went up to a prayer mountain. I think for 40 days, 40, I think he fasted for 40 days or 40 nights, something like that. And he was going to, through his, his 
you know, his, his new anointing that he got in the mountain and through the faith he'd received, he was going to, you know, walk across the Han River because Jesus did it. So, you know, why can't he do it? Right. And actually, I mean, there's, there's something true within that, but he was failing to recognize that, that God might not want him to walk across the river. Like maybe that wasn't God's desire for him. So he actually went and tried and we can all imagine what happened. He went for a swim in the Han river and I don't advise anyone to go for a swim in the Han river because it's disgusting. It's full of pollution. Although I do see people water skiing on it now from time to time. I don't know if you guys see that. But um, faith, yeah. If you speak to, in Luke 17, he says, if you speak to a mulberry bush and say, be uprooted and then planted in the sea, if you have faith, that's going to happen. Jesus says, you need faith. When you have faith, anything is possible. Apart from faith, Nothing is possible. Do we get that? In James 1, James is talking about faith. He's talking about belief. He said, if if any of you lack wisdom, he said, ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. He says, if you ask God for something and you doubt, don't expect to receive it. If there's any doubt in you, you need faith. The flip side of that is that if you do believe, then you should expect to receive from God. He's teaching that principle in James 1. If you do have faith, if you do believe, you should be expecting to receive from God. You need faith. You gotta have faith. So we're gonna look today, what we're going to look at is principles of faith in prayer from Luke 18. You can turn your Bibles there. Luke 18. going to look at a parable that is perhaps familiar to many of you. Luke 18, we're looking at the first verse. Jesus does some teaching to his disciples about faith. And it's worth noting, before we get into this, I want you to have this in mind as we go through this, that this is really an end times expression of faith. The passage ends in verse 8. Jesus says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So he's directing the disciples' attention toward Jesus' return. When he comes, will he find this kind of faith that he's going to talk about in this passage? This is an end times expression of faith. Do you believe that Jesus is coming back soon? Because he is coming back soon. We need that actually at at the, the forefront of our hearts. He's coming back. And he's not just coming back soon in like a thousand years is a day kind of soon. 
he's actually coming back. Just because there hasn't been a massive earthquake in the last few weeks does not mean we need to forget about the fact that Jesus actually, that things are moving forward to his return right now. It's getting closer and closer and closer. He's coming back and he's coming back soon. And so he's saying here, he's specifying this. He's saying, when I come back, I want to see this kind of faith. This is the kind of faith I want to see when I return. The question is, am I going to see it? Am I going to see this demonstrated on earth? Keep that in mind as we work through this this parable. So reading from verse 1, let's read through the first part. It says, And he, as Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. I like that imagery in the ESV. Beat me down. She is beating me down. By her continual coming. All right. So, what we have here is Jesus telling a parable about a principle that we find on earth. The principle is this if you pester someone for something long enough, you will get what you want. That, that is the moral of this story to this point. So far, the moral of the story is if you want something and you pester someone for it long enough, you will get it. That is a true principle that Jesus is explaining for this earth. Okay? Do we agree with that? Do you see that in operation on the earth? Do you practice that? Yes. Don't. Okay. No, I mean, there's, there's a place for it, I suppose, in crying out, for justice on an earthly scale. But one place that I know this manifests, and many of you experience this, I'm sure, is in Hogwans. Okay? Now, I know many of you are Hogwan teachers. I used to be a Hogwan teacher. I know all about teaching at Hogwans. Um, in a Hogwan, you have wonderful children. All right? They're wonderful. They are your treasures. They are gifts from God. Treat them as your treasures. Okay? Please. Yeah. Seriously. But what you get likely from time to time, if your children were anything like mine, is them desiring to play games. Right? Right? Because kids love play game, playing games. And so you get, you know, you get your kids, especially when, you know, they're, they're tired or they're irritable or they stayed up all night or it's like Friday afternoon or something like that. And they're like, teacher, game, teacher. I think it's probably the first, it's one of the first words they learn in English. Really. I don't know why or how, but like teacher game, teacher game, game. Teacher! Teacher! And then they chingle like that, right? And it's like, game, 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 
game, game, game. And everyone's in on it at the same time, right? And you finally say, fine, let's play a game. Like, oh, we'll play a game. I have no desire to play a game. It was not in the lesson plan, but we're going to play a game so I can just keep you quiet so you'll stop beating me down with your continual coming and asking for a game, right? Is this, is it, well, not, not just me, right? You guys have experienced this? How I want teachers? Okay. And so you play a game, right? There's nothing that tests me like Hogwan children. I don't know why. There's, there's nothing that sanctifies me like Hogwan children. Give thanks and glory to God for your Hogwan children because he is doing a great work in you through them. Believe it. Receive that work. He is sanctifying you. He is sanctifying you. Anyways, that is the moral of the story. Jesus is saying this. When you ask someone for long enough and being annoying enough, you'll get what you want. So far. Okay. Let's keep reading. Verse 6. It says, And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? All right. So, after giving this explanation of this principle that you find on earth about pestering someone to get what you want. Jesus says, when you approach the father, it's, it's different than that. And he, so he gives some principles in this, in this next section of teaching about what faith looks like in the place of prayer, what persistence in the kingdom of God looks like and what it accomplishes. Okay, so tonight we're going to look at a few different principles that we see in this passage about what faith looks like in prayer. Because we need faith, right? We got that from before? We need faith. This is one expression of that, particularly, Jesus is saying, for the time when he's returning, which is now. Okay? So, first principle that Jesus discusses here. He says, you need to pray on the basis of who God is. Every time you pray, you got to come to God with some understanding, some revelation, some knowledge of who he is, right? Because what he's saying here is that God is not an unjust or an unrighteous judge. That's not who he is. Although often we approach God that way without meaning to, without thinking to, we approach him and we try to twist his arm and convince him to do something that he doesn't already want to do, right? He says, come to him on the basis of who he is because he is a God of justice, amen? Amen. This is what the Bible clearly teaches, that God is a God of justice. Psalm 11 verse 7 says, the Lord is righteous, he loves justice, God loves justice. Oh, it fills his heart. Justice. He's totally different than the unrighteous judge. 
Psalm 33, 5 says, the Lord loves righteousness and justice. He loves them both. You see this combination over and over again in the Bible, righteousness and justice. Psalm 89, 14, it says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. They're the foundation of his rulership, of his authority, of everything that happens. Justice and righteousness are the foundation of all of it. They burn inside of God's heart. Justice is the burning of God's heart. So when you're praying for justice for something or someone, you don't come to God trying to convince him that he should do something in justice. You come to him knowing already that from millennium past, because God does not change, from millennium past, the justice just has been burning inside the heart of God. A fire that has not gone down, it's not gone up, it's stayed perfectly burning brightly. God's filled with desire for justice. So when you're praying for abortion in Korea, for babies who are about to be aborted and mothers who are about to make that choice to choose an abortion over life, then you pray for justice because God is a God of justice. You pray for justice, confident that God's desire is justice for those unborn children. The heart of God's got to burn inside of you, beloved. It's got to burn inside of you. God is a God of justice. When you're praying for children in North Korea who are starving to death, you pray to God as the God of justice and you declare His justice over that land because he is the God of justice. You are not twisting his arm. You are coming into alignment with who he is, his very nature. All right? He is a God of justice. We approach him as he is, as a God of justice. When you pray, when you pray for mercy for someone, for a family, for someone who does not know the Lord, you pray on the basis of who he is as a merciful God. His heart is for mercy. When you pray for God to heal someone, and we talk about this at New Philly a lot, God's very nature is to heal people. All right? When you approach him for healing, when you're about to pray for someone for healing, and you pray to the Lord, you approach him as the healer. That's what he does. That's who he is. Exodus 15 says, I am the Lord your God who heals you. I am Jehovah Rapha. That is who I am. That is what I do. It is the most natural thing in the world for God to heal someone. It's the most natural thing. That's just naturally what flows out of his very being is healing. It's flowing out. When you come to him, he's not the unjust judge. When you come to him, you got to come to him on the basis of who he is. All sorts of of the parts of God's character are lined out in scripture. God's continually trying to reveal himself over and over and over again. You read the chapters from Isaiah like 42 to 46 and over and over and over it says, I am the Lord your God. I am God and there is no other. And he starts describing who he is throughout the Bible. Really, you see God trying to tell his people, this is who I am. I want you to know this is who I am. Come to me on the basis of who I am. 
You're not twisting my arm. Don't do that. Don't try to do that to make me do something because I'm already telling you what I want to do. I'm already telling you who I am. So Jesus is saying here, as we pray with faith, we pray to God on the basis of who he is. Okay? Second thing. Second principle of praying with faith. in this passage is to cry out. Okay. He says, will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him? You got to cry out. That's part of praying with faith. Now for Western Christians, most of you are at least ethnically Korean, but for Western Christians, that's not really a popular thing. I didn't grow up with that. I did not grow up learning how to cry out. I, I have a Mennonite background. And Mennonites, I love Mennonites. I'm proud of my Mennonite heritage. The Mennonites, uh, I got Ted in the back. He knows Mennonites. Uh, Mennonites do not typically cry out when they pray. That's not traditionally what they do. They're changing. God's hands upon the Mennonites. He's moving upon. There's, there's actually revival happening. I should tell you this. It's like in my, right near my hometown, there is there is an apostolic church, the recognized apostle in Canada. And the church is, it's one of the fastest growing churches in Canada. And it's like, a, it's a pretty small town. It's like, I don't know, like 15,000 people in this town. One of the fastest growing churches. And, um, and it's filled with Mennonites. It's actually, it's, it's in a Mennonite town. This town is called Steinbach. It's very Mennonite. Yeah. And, and so there's a revival happening among the Mennonites. But anyways, they're in that church, they're learning how to cry out. Mennonites in general don't. In the West, people typically don't cry out in prayer. But it's really what God's calling us to. All right? Within that, it's often difficult for Western Christians and other Christians as well to understand how that connects with faith, right? Because often when we think of faith, we think, well, I shouldn't sound desperate and I shouldn't sound despairing. So I, I better just have a nice even tone when I pray and just pray, you know, relaxed, trusting the Lord. Lord, bring about your justice in North Korea. Lord, rescue the orphans in India. Thank you, Lord. Amen. And, and so there is this sense that, you know, that, that's kind of a, an expression of faith. But Jesus is saying the opposite here. He's saying that if you, actually, if you have faith, you're actually going to cry out. Now, there are three Greek words in the New Testament for crying out. Do a bit of Greek here. If you guys appreciate that, you may not, but we're going to look at a little bit of Greek. The Greek word here is boao. Boao. Everyone repeat after me. Boao. Boao. Very good. Greek students. Okay. Um, we'll look at the meaning for that in a bit. The other two are kaleo. Good. And krasayan. Okay. Kaleo means is more of an intellectual crying out. Like with my mind, I'm having a very calculated way of crying out. I know exactly what I want. 
It's, um, I'm going to make noise doing it. It's very calculated, though. That's not the word that's used here. The other third word is krasean. Just, just by listening to the word krasean, you probably get a sense for what that means, right? Krasean. I'm not totally sure, but I think we get our English word crazy from this Greek word in some way or another. It means to be, uh, be very harsh, like angry. Like, I'm, I'm angry and I'm going to cry out. Krasean. Okay? That, that's, that's the other Greek word for cry. The word used here, boal, it, it's really talking about the emotions. It's talking about a passionate, a passionate cry out. And it's talking about not necessarily just crying out for help, although that's the primary meaning. It, it can also mean crying out for joy, this word. It's just, it's an emotional cry out. It's a cry that's connected to the emotions that you have. And so, this is really, in faith, what God is calling us to. I I think it's possible to, to cry out with emotion silently, in some form, like you have like an inner cry, right? Like an inner yearning, an inner groaning, and you can do that for a time. But eventually, that cry has got to come out of your mouth, right? I love silent prayer. I, I love just spending time with the Lord and just meditating on his beauty and glory and even, even interceding, being before the throne of God, crying out in my spirit. I, I believe that's possible to do that, but... I don't believe it's possible to stay there forever. That cry eventually is going to rise up and it's going to come up in your, through your body somehow and eventually get out of your mouth. And you're going to have to be loud about it because that's ultimately where it's going. That's what God's calling us to as we cry out in faith. If, if you're new to this prayer movement, you probably notice that we, we're a bit noisy when we pray. That's kind of, kind of what happens when we gather together. We're crying out together. And one of the reasons that that happens is because we're connecting with the emotions of God. Because God is filled with emotion. God is filled with longing. And when his heart touches upon our hearts, you're not going to help but to cry. Something's going to come out of your mouth. It might be a groan. It might be whatever. Something's going to come out of your mouth when his heart connects with your heart. So these are not your disconnected emotions. These are the emotions that God gives you. These are emotions of heaven that God is putting in you. He puts a stirring and a groaning in you by your spirit. Romans 8 talks about that as groaning that words cannot express. And it comes out of you. It, It gets out of you. It's going to happen. We need to pray with emotion. We cannot disconnect our emotions from prayer. This is what faith is calling us to. And so for some of us, that might be difficult. But one way we overcome that is with encounters with reality. We need revelation of, of reality. When we see things for how they actually are, then we won't be able to help as believers with the Holy Spirit inside of us. We won't be able to help but to cry out to the Lord. 
For a long time, I had trouble praying for North Korea. I didn't really understand the issues, and my heart just wasn't connecting with it. And I'm not sure that may be the story for many of you as you like get used to praying for North Korea. But one time I was, I was in prayer for North Korea. I, just, I was telling the Lord, Lord, I, I need help praying for North Korea. I don't know how. How do I pray for North Korea? I need your help. And this is what the Lord told me. He said, imagine that your brother, your youngest brother, was in North Korea. How would you pray for him? How would you pray for him if that was your brother? Now, my youngest brother is someone who's, who's been very dear to my heart. He's, um, he's seven years younger than me. And when we were growing up, um, both my parents were working a lot. They, they both worked full-time or more than full-time when we were growing up. And so it was... It was on uh, the siblings, and I have, I have four siblings. I'm the middle of five. And, um, and it was kind of for us to help raise the younger siblings, particularly my youngest brother. And so I grew pretty attached to my youngest brother. And, um, yeah, I, I was his biggest fan. And when I left home for college, it was one of the hardest things I, I ever did because I had to say goodbye to my youngest brother. And I just, like, because, I don't know, I, I felt really responsible for him. It was... It was the kind of thing where I, even for me, I, I grew up loving hockey, and I and we all played hockey growing up. And I would, I would, uh, in some ways, almost love watching him play hockey more than playing myself. Yeah, yeah, it's it's true, and it's, it, and it's actually, I think there's there's revelation of the father's heart in that, you know. Uh, aside, that's a different message, but, but you know, God's heart is, he's, he's more interested in, in seeing us expand the kingdom than him just doing it himself, you know? He gets, he gets pretty excited about that. And, um, and so I, I love my youngest brother. And so when the Lord told me that, something inside me broke for North Korea. Because the thing is, it's not a matter of just imagining it. It's reality. Because you, you don't realize how many brothers and sisters you have in North Korea right now. They are your eternal brothers and sisters. They are as much your brothers or sisters, or even more so, than your earthly brothers and sisters in your family. They're in North Korea right now, and they're starving to death right now that's your family yeah that did something to my emotions learning how to pray for north korea we need revelation of the way things really are that's the way things really are all right think about abortion in this land looking at statistics I was just looking at some, some, some statistics from 2010 today that the, the official government's calculation for how many babies were aborted in Korea, and of course all of these are illegal abortions because abortion is illegal in Korea, 340,000 
in one year. That, that's the official government number. But then there is another government official that was interviewed after. He said, actually, that's, that's not it at all. He said, it's actually more like 1.5 million. 1.5 million babies were aborted last year in Korea. That is approximately, that's almost three every minute. Almost three every, that's happening right now. As we sit in this room, babies are being aborted across this land. It's happening right now. And if that doesn't hit your heart, what might hit your heart is if you understood that those babies are actually people and it's no different than killing 1.5 million children after they were born or 1.5 million grown human beings across this land in one year. It's no different. It's the same in God's sight. We need revelation of reality, the way things actually are. And that's going to stir some emotion. When that hits our heart, we, we can't help, if we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, to cry out. That's a prayer of faith. God is saying, you need emotion if you want to pray with faith. And emotion comes from me, and it comes from reality. Okay? So that is the second principle we're looking at from this passage about what it looks like to pray with faith. Thirdly, Jesus calls us here to pray day and night. says, will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Day and night. And again, this is something in our minds where we normally think that this is actually the opposite of faith. We normally think that to believe God requires us to just pray for something once and wait on God for the manifestation of that, for that to, to change or, or whatever. That if we pray once, and we, and we use the language of like, we'll leave it in God's hands, right? We'll pray, we'll just leave it in God's hands, and we'll wait for him to work. Because we think that that is what faith looks like. We think that faith, what disbelief looks like, is coming to him over and over and over and over again. Typically in our minds. But Jesus says, no, it's the opposite. When you come to me over and over and over and over again, that's a demonstration of faith. And I love it. I love it when you come to me over and over and over and over and over again. That demonstrates because it shows that you actually believe God can do something about what you're coming to him with. That's what it shows. If you go to him once and you stop, what you're saying is, I don't really think that God can do something. I'm going to stop. I'm going to quit. That's what you're really saying to God. But when you keep coming to him, you're demonstrating your confidence in him. You're saying, God, I love you. I trust you. I believe that you are... You are the God of justice. You're the God of mercy. You're the God of righteousness. You're the God who heals. And I'm coming to you over and over and over and over and over again. And there are all sorts of reasons as to why we, we do that as well. 
all sorts of things going on in the spiritual realm that we just don't see or think of normally. Like the bowls that are being filled up in Revelation 5. As we pray, our prayers are incense and they're ascending to the throne of God. They're filling up bowls. They're golden bowls in heaven being filled up as we pray, just waiting to be filled up, to come to the brim. That's the language that's used in Revelation. That's when we pray, those bowls are being filled up. And we don't know exactly how full they are until God actually pours it out and says, now it's time. But those bowls are being filled up. You, none, not one prayer you pray is wasted. Not one prayer you pray escapes God. Every prayer, valuable in God's sight. There is spiritual warfare going on as we pray. Daniel 10 gives us an amazing picture of this. Where Daniel sets his heart to seek the Lord for something. For understanding. And he's praying and he's fasting for 21 days. There's nothing There is nothing happening for 21 days, but Daniel persists in prayer for 21 days. He won't quit. He won't quit. He keeps at it. And at the end of the 21 days, an angel comes to him and says, Daniel, I was actually sent to you when you started praying. Like the first day I was sent to you and it doesn't take an angel long to get there. Angels move very quickly. Okay, he could could have been there like in a snap of a finger. He's there, you know. He said, but I met resistance and I fought with the prince of Persia. This demon over Persia. And I fought with him. I was engaged in conflict with him for 21 days. But then Michael the archangel came and helped me. And I was finally set free. And now I've come to give you the answer that you sought God for 21 days ago. There is warfare going on that we don't see or understand, but it's actually happening. That's reality. And that's why God's calling us to persist in prayer. Keep praying. Keep praying. You don't know what's going on, but God's saying, keep coming to me. Keep coming to me. Not one prayer is wasted. You're demonstrating your faith, and I love it. I love it when you keep coming in faith, persisting in prayer. So keep coming. So keep coming. Beloved, God is calling us to faith. To pray with faith. Without faith, we don't have anything. If we want to see mountains move in our lives, we need faith. You are not going to see a mountain move in your life apart from faith. And Jesus is saying, this is, this is what faith looks like. Keep coming to me. There are all sorts of people in this room that are praying for family members. And you're not seeing any movement. You're praying for salvation. You're praying for revival. You're praying for healing. You're praying for restoration. You're praying for all sorts of things for your family members. And there are people, and I've talked to people recently, and there's this this pull to despair that's on people because they don't see the manifestation of what they're praying for yet. But God's saying, keep praying. Keep persisting in prayer. Not one prayer is wasted. Not one prayer is lost. 
keep demonstrating faith by day and night crying out. Connect with my emotions and cry out on behalf of your family. Because the, the salvation is coming. It's on its way. It's coming because I'm the God who saves. Your healing is coming because I'm the God who heals. It's coming, so persist in prayer. Keep it coming. Keep it coming. I love it, and I'm working, and it's coming. It's coming. Keep praying. Keep believing. Don't get weary in doing good. Keep going. Keep doing it. I'm going to give you the grace to keep doing this. You're going to do it by my grace. You're not going to do it just in your flesh. You're doing it by the Spirit. But keep coming to that place of prayer and go forward by my Spirit. Keep praying in that place. You're not trying to earn anything with God. You're connecting with His emotions, with His heart, and you're being led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And He gives freely. He's giving it freely. But He says, keep coming. We pray for Korea, for this land. We pray for North Korea time and time again. That's what God's calling us to. And there can be this... There can be this pull on our lives to despair of that as well. It's temptation to think, you know, when are things going to change? You know, we, we haven't seen it. In North Korea, hasn't been front-page news across the world for a little while now. You know? Are things really changing? Are they happening? You know, there's these doubts come in our minds. But God's saying, don't doubt. Believe and keep praying. Believe and keep praying. I am the God of justice. I will exercise justice in that land. I am the God who heals. I will heal that land. Keep coming to me as the God of justice, as the God who heals. Persist in prayer. Keep coming. Keep coming. And beloved, as we keep coming to the Lord day and night, we're going to see the mountains move. And Jesus is going to come, and Jesus is going to be very pleased with us. Because nothing pleases God apart from faith, and this is the faith he's coming back to see. Is Jesus going to find us as a church believing in that way or is he not? And so I love coming here together with you. This is more, in some ways, an affirmation of what we're already doing than teaching on something we don't actually know. But it's an encouragement to keep pressing in. We meet once a month, but that's not day and night. We keep going and we go to our prayer closets and we keep at it. We keep at it. We keep at it. We keep going. Let's, let's pray. Let's take some time to pray.